All right, so we're going to be in 1 Peter. We have been in 1 Peter for weeks now. This is week 8 of our series in 1 Peter. We're in chapter 3 this morning. And I don't know about you, but basically Peter is getting me through the COVID-19 pandemic. It is incredibly relevant. Um, The scripture always is. So we're going to be in chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, starting off. Just a quick introduction, background um, for you. Last time in 1 Peter 3, um, that was not last week, but the week before that, Peter gives us instructions to maintain unity within the church. He's talking about how we can come together as people with different opinions, different backgrounds, different cultures even, and be one church. And that was um, Peter's goal. And then he turns at the end of that section that we were in last time, he turns his instructions not to how we can have unity inside the body of Christ, but he starts talking about how we can relate to the world around us, which is also hugely important. And that's the main theme of our text this morning, okay? So 1 Peter 3, 13 to 17, I'll read it and then we'll talk about it. He says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Okay, so one thing I need to, you need to know about in verse 13, which is really helpful to understanding what Peter's on about here, is the, the, the grammatical construction in Greek in verse 13 implies, really heavily implies, that the persecution from the world is not the norm, okay? It's not, we shouldn't expect persecution around every corner, okay? And so he's saying, look, You shouldn't be constantly in this war against the world, in this contentious, you know, relationship with the people around you, that Christians in the church should be, generally speaking, in harmony and at peace with their neighbors. They should be a blessing to their neighbors and not a constant, like, chafing spur under the saddle, as they say. It shouldn't be the norm. Because, why? Because we're doing good, because we're walking in humility and loving our neighbor. And when we do those things, we tend to get along with people. That tends to be the case. However, okay, Peter is very quick in the very next verse to balance that statement with the possibility that they will suffer persecution from the world, okay? So he says it shouldn't be the norm, but it is certainly possible. Undoubtedly, Peter is writing this letter in response even to increasing tensions between Christians and the foreign cultures they live in. That's the context of the whole book of 1 Peter is that there's growing tension between Christians and their values and lifestyle and the culture that they're in, okay? Interestingly enough, the way Peter states this is a strong indication that Peter probably wrote this letter just before the intense violent persecution of Nero began. So he's probably writing right before that started or else he probably would have said this a little differently. He might have mentioned some of that stuff that was going on, okay? 
So I think here we need to define, like stop for a minute and define what suffering for righteousness means, okay? That's the phrase Peter uses. Because it would not have been normal at this point for a Christian to be killed or imprisoned for their faith. That was going to be normal, but it wasn't normal yet. Generally speaking, I think it's a good idea to reserve that word persecution for those sorts of things. Um, people, Christians around the world experience that regularly right now in 2020. And so I think we should be careful that we don't compare ourselves here in America with people in those places and use the same words to refer to kind of not being cool anymore in the United States versus being thrown in prison, tortured, or killed in another place. And so the kind of persecution that Peter has in mind here is slander, mockery, and social shunning. This is what he calls suffering for righteousness sake, okay? Things would escalate, but right now what Peter's looking at and what he's talking about here is when people revile you. Revilement is when somebody angrily accuses you of something, maligns your character, talks bad about you with the intent of doing harm to you, okay? That's what revilement is and Peter loves that word revile I like it too um, so this is what he's talking about when he talks about suffering for righteousness sake this kind of suffering is really becoming more and more familiar to us here in the United States we don't we don't live in a Christian nation any longer I don't know if you've noticed <laughs> but we don't and we need to understand that to understand how to apply these scriptures to our lives. Whatever vestiges of our Christian foundations remain, they are quickly being torn down as we speak. And so that makes what Peter is saying here incredibly relevant to us as we live right now and try to work out how we relate to our neighbors that are not Christians. And he gives us a list in sentence form, but he gives us a list. It's, I see five things. I just want to talk through these things. This is how we're supposed to act when people don't like us. This is how we're supposed to act when people talk bad about you and you can't defend yourself. This is how we're supposed to act when people are against us and don't understand our values and our lifestyle and our faith. They don't understand it, and so they mock and they revile and they gossip and they resist this is how we're supposed to act. Number one, this is maybe the foundation of everything else Peter says. He says, you will be blessed. Peter tells us that if we suffer for righteousness sake, as opposed to suffering because you're a disagreeable person, then you're going to be blessed. So just because you're a Christian and you're suffering doesn't mean you're going to be blessed. Being a Christian and being a jerk and suffering for it you will not be blessed, okay? That is not what he's saying. He's very clear about that. Do this with grace. Do this with humility. And so we're supposed to still do good. We're supposed to still be a blessing. And when we do that for the sake of Christ, then he's gonna bless us. God himself will bless us. Blessing in Peter and across the New Testament means simply to live under the direct favor of God himself. So if God has favored you, if God is blessing you, if God is going before you, it really doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. If the whole world is against you, 
if everyone reviles you, if everyone is trying to curse you and God blesses you, God's favor is on you, it doesn't matter what they do. He's all-powerful. He's the one that created the very idea of blessing and cursing. So that's Peter's assumption about everything. That's his foundational view of the world and how his relationship with God works and how his relationship with his neighbors work. Secondly, he says there's no fear and no anxiety or don't have fear and don't have anxiety. It's a command. It's a direct command from Peter to us. He says, because you are under God's favor, you are commanded to not fear the intimidation of the world against you, nor should you even allow it to create stress and anxiety in your mind. That's a hard one. If you are in fear and you are intimidated, then it's probably a good sign that you have forgotten, number one, (laughs) that God promises you that you are blessed. You have his blessing, his favor, his, um, his enablement. If you are suffering persecution, resistance, revilement, mockery, whatever it is, if you're doing it, for righteousness' sake, then you should have no fear and you should not even have any anxiety because what is there to worry about if God's for you? Number three, he says, keep Jesus Lord in your heart, which means we're not to allow the influence of the world and the intimidation of powerful people to replace Jesus as the king of our hearts. He remains Lord. That's what Lord means. It means king, ruler. He is, the, he is the Lord over us, and we are submitted to him. And he says, keep Jesus Lord in your heart, meaning not just something that you do every now and then as an outward manifestation of something, but instead it's, it's about what's, what's in your heart. Okay, if Jesus is Lord over your heart, then anxiety and fear over the intimidation of what people think about you is going to go away. So if you honor Jesus in what you do, then you remain blessed even if all others hate you. If you honor Jesus in what you do, you remain blessed no matter what. Number four, this is all taken right from these verses. He says, bear witness to Christ with word and deed. Peter assumes that if we are doing these things, he already mentioned, then the world will see hope within us. As we are refusing to revile in return, as we are continuing to be a blessing and walk in humility and serve other people and love our neighbor and demonstrate the character of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, as we do that, the people will see that. And even if they don't like us, which is what happened to the early church, people didn't like them. They thought they were weird. They thought they were crazy. They thought they were a scourge on humanity. But at the same time, they couldn't find a reason to to. to, to to force them out because they were so good to each other and so good to their neighbors. They were confusing to people. This is what Peter is saying. He's saying, look, honor Jesus in what you do. Let him be Lord. Continue to do good work, to continue to minister to your city, continue to love one another and walk in unity, and the world will see that, and they will say, man, what is the deal with those people? The world will see a hope within us. I think we should be clear here. This doesn't mean it's going to end the resistance. (laughs) Historically, that's not been true. 
historically what's happened is the church has been loving and good and they've been hated for it, just like Jesus. Jesus said that would happen to us. But what happens is this hope that was, is within us, despite our circumstances, it demands an explanation. So don't waste your suffering for righteousness' sake. Preach the gospel to a world that reviles you. That's what we're called to do. We don't retreat into our bunker, into our church bunker, and try to wait out the resistance and hope that, you know, maybe we'll be a Christian nation again, and then we'll preach the gospel. That is not what Peter is saying. He's saying the opposite. He's saying, look, while they are reviling you, they will be confused by the fact that you remain hopeful and humble and loving and gracious and be ready with an answer why you have this hope. And what's the answer? It's very simple. It's Jesus. So you preach the gospel to the world that reviles you and you tell them that the reason you are the way you are is because you are a follower of Jesus. And then lastly, he says, I'm kind of mentioning this as we've been going along. He says, do all of this with gentleness and respect. Peter's wise enough to know that when you bear witness to Christ, you don't do so with a sword, okay? Remember Peter's story. <laughs> Remember back when they came to get Jesus and the Garden of Gethsemane, and they asked where he was, and Peter and they, Jesus said, here I am. All the soldiers fall down because he just confessed to his the, to the fullness of who he was. He's not just a man, he is the Christ. And then they get up and they're gonna take Jesus to put him on trial and ultimately crucify him. And Peter, one who wrote this letter, what did he do? He pulled his sword out and he whacked off a soldier's ear. And Jesus sort of, you know, bends down, puts the ear back. Peter, you just don't get it. So Peter has learned that lesson. The, the, the way we, quote, unquote, resist the evil in the culture is not with a sword, but with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect is not something Peter was known for, but he has learned through Jesus that that's the way to go. He's wise enough at this point in his life to know that when you bear witness to Christ, it does no good to do it with a sword. Instead, we maintain gentleness and respect even when it's not returned to you in kind. I mean, that's the assumption in the background here is that they are not being treated with gentleness and respect. So that's the first really convicting question, I think, for all of us is, in your interactions with those who oppose you and disagree with you and think that you're an old fuddy-duddy Christian or a bigot or whatever else people call Christians now, in your interactions with them, are you gentle? And are you respectful? The fact that other people do not respect you and treat you gently is not an excuse to ignore Peter's command here. So what's our source of courage and hope? How do we, in other words, what's the engine that drives this? What's the power behind it? Because frankly, as I read Peter's list here, it's, I feel almost like, well, maybe I can pull that off if I just disengage from everyone, right? If I just retreat and don't engage with anybody in the world, then I can do this. But the second I am engaging with other 
people who treat me this way, it becomes incredibly difficult to follow this list. So how do we do it? He tells us, verse 18 through 22. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Okay, and I'll warn you right here, verses 19 and 20 are probably the most um, difficult scriptures in the Bible to interpret, okay? Just warning, all right? And I'll come back and I'll explain it sort of, all right? Verse 19, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. In my commentary, a couple of commentaries I have on 1 Peter, they're relatively short because 1 Peter is short. But in both of them, about a third, maybe a fourth of the entire book is on those two scriptures. <laughs> All right, and we're not going to get into all of that this morning because it becomes uh, a distraction from Peter's great point. His main point here um, is that we can have hope even in suffering because Jesus himself suffered for righteousness sake. He did what Peter is commanding us to do even unto death. Jesus died for righteousness sake. Yet his death was not a defeat, it was a victory. This is the point of verses 19 through 20. Even though the, we don't really understand, to be honest with you, who the, these spirits are in prison that Jesus went to preach to, um, where they were, when this happened. Um, there's a lot of theories about maybe Jesus went down to hell between his death and resurrection and preached to people. I don't think that's true. Um, there's a lot of other theories, all of which just come back around to the main point that Peter's making which is fairly obvious, is that Jesus' death was not a failure, it was not a defeat, it was in fact a victory, okay? That's what's clear. Jesus' death may have looked like a meaningless tragedy to the world. Imagine if you lived in that time and saw Jesus' ministry and then saw him die the way he did. What would it look like to you? If you didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, it would have been all that crazy crackpot finally got killed. If you did believe that Jesus was the Messiah, it would have been the, the worst tragedy of your life. Someone you had put your hope in was now gone and your hope dead with him. And what Peter says, Peter was one of those who followed Jesus and experienced this himself. He says, that was not a meaningless tragedy. In fact, it was the opposite. It was a victory over both the spiritual realm and the natural realm. And just like Noah, how Noah was brought through the flood on the ark, Jesus is the ark, okay? Just like Noah was brought through the flood, we are brought to victory through baptism, right? He's making a metaphor, an analogy between the flood and Noah being brought through the flood and his family and us being brought through the water of baptism into salvation. So faith in Christ and submission to his lordship is what brings us through and cleanses us. 
There's a second controversy with this verse about baptism. What does he mean by baptism saves you? We could go on about that for forever, but it's also not the point, okay? Keep the main point the main point. He, Peter isn't answering that question here. He is not discussing what happens at baptism. He's just drawing an analogy between Noah being brought through the flood to dry land and the sinner being brought through the water of baptism to salvation. If you really want to dig into what in the world those spirits are and where they are, you can, I can recommend some books and you can read it and still not know, all right? So that's how that goes, all right? So how, what can we conclude from this? First, I think the main thing here is living as a Christian requires courage. And that feels a little weird saying that in America if you grew up here. Because we have always enjoyed the comfort of feeling a kinship with the world in terms of our values and our, the way we look at things and our worldview. And all of that has been changing so drastically and so quickly. It makes your head spin. And all of a sudden, we are finding that it requires courage to be a Christian. Maybe for most of us, for the first time in your life, you feel that awkwardness in the culture. You feel like you can't embrace things that you used to be able to embrace. You can't do and go to the places that you used to be able to go to. And you can't participate in some things that you used to be able to participate in because everything has gone all akimbo, right? Isn't that a fun word, akimbo? All whoppy jaw, right? This is how we're living. It requires a willingness to be misunderstood, misrepresented, and generally uncool. Christianity was never cool, despite the fact that we have tried to dress it up quite often to make it look cool and appear cool. It will never be. Living as a Christian requires a willingness to be a blessing to the world around us when it's easy to be a blessing and when it's hard. It has been easy for many, 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 many years. And it's becoming harder and harder. It's becoming more and more difficult and complicated to figure out even what it means to be a blessing. So we do this, we execute that command by following the example of Christ through the power of the spirit of Christ that is in every Christian. For example, Jesus was humble in the face of mockery. Jesus was silent against his accusers. The only time he replied to his accusers is when he was asked the question, are you the Messiah? And he answered yes. Every other misrepresentation and attack he was silent about. Jesus did not revile when he was reviled. He didn't fire back. Jesus did not see death or persecution as a failure, but he saw it as a victory. That's an incredible perspective that requires the presence of Christ in you to even see it. And Jesus kept an eternal perspective on his temporary pain. He kept an eternal perspective on his temporary momentary pain. And this is what we are called to do as Christians, as the church our job is not to be at war with the world. Our job is simply to exemplify Christ to the world. That's it. Your job is not to win arguments. It's not to win elections. 
is not to win um, fights against your neighbors and friends about the values that should be adopted as a nation. You speak prophetically, yes. You speak to the world the truth, yes, because that's part of being a blessing, but it's not our job to be at war with the culture. Jesus himself lived in a pagan, broken culture. Those people he spent most of his time fighting with were other Christians who had distorted the gospel and distorted the truth and refused to acknowledge him as the Messiah. So it's our job to exemplify Christ to the world even when they revile us and reject us and oppose us for it. Amen? And that's, this, I think, is the message of 1 Peter 3. And it's one that's incredibly relevant to us now.